Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. Uh, did you watch the all-SEC affair on Monday night, Mr. Ginter? <laughs> I did watch the uh, SEC championship part two. Um, I said I wouldn't, and then I did. Because you lied. You lied. Everybody lied. You remember Lori Schmidt. You know Lori, right. the great uh, former 97.1 The Fan um, reporter. And I saw she had a poll, and it said, will you watch the national championship game? It was like 78% of people who replied said no, which yeah, is a No lie. way, man. Columbus <laughs> was the ninth highest rated city for the national championship game. Ninth. It was the highest rated city that is not in the southeast to watch the national championship game. Of course you're going to consume it. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it was on, and there's nothing else to do. And, you know, you want to tune in to see if Alabama's going to lose, and then... I mean, it was a terrible game for the three quarters. And then the fourth quarter was pretty, pretty lit. It's pretty sweet. And then it looks like it's going to go George's way towards the end. They missed the field goal. And then, you know, they, they make the field goal in overtime. There's a great sack. And then their secondary kind of blows it. So it, you know, I've got, I've got lots of takes and opinions on this, but Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of watchability, there have been worse national championship games. So I can't really fault somebody for tuning in maybe at like halftime just to see how it went. Well, I think it, don't you think it can be both really poorly played football for a half and incredibly thrilling theater? I mean, it was oh, both sure, of those yeah. things. It wasn't, this wasn't, you know, this wasn't some flawless football game or anything. But if you want drama, it provided it. And the, the game flipped with the move to Tua. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to attempt to say his last name, but that's what got me thinking about Ohio State, which is why I want to lead the podcast with this, um, because of the move that Nick Saban made to a true freshman quarterback because his starting quarterback could not throw the football. And no. They couldn't do what they needed to do offensively, so he made the move. Um, now, this, isn't, this hasn't been reported yet, but um, how would I say this? I, I suppose sources of mine tell me <laughs> that there's a, there's a chance that Jalen Hurt suffered a concussion in the first quarter of the football game last night. And then mm-hmm. Saban's move to Tua, had, that had something to do with it. And if I, I'm thinking back watching the game last night, and Hurts, it was almost like he couldn't see anything in the second quarter. Like he would hold on to the ball forever, seemingly. seemingly. Um, and so maybe that did happen. Um, pretty reliable source. So I, I wanted to throw that out there because I know a lot of the dialogue that's happened today has been that Nick Saban is some genius and it takes brass balls like enough to sell a Cadillac Eldorado to to go from Jalen Hurts to Tua. And <laughs> and in reality, maybe there was a little more to it. Whatever yeah. the result is, he makes the change to a true freshman. And not only does he make a change to a true freshman, he makes a change to a true freshman and he starts slinging it. I mean, they start slinging it around. Um, the kid was throwing it all over the place. Um, he, he had a couple of prayers that were answered. He was great. He had stone cold. Uh, I mean, the, the ice water in his veins to walk, to look on the game-winning throw. I've never seen a walk-off like that in, oh, a, in a championship game. To look off a safety on a four-streaks route, to look a safety off and then throw a bullet for a game-winner on second and 26. I mean, you just never see anything like it. Yeah. But it got me thinking about Urban. Two, twofold. Number one, do you think Urban would have ever done that? Would he have ever pulled a 25-2 and two starting quarterback for a true freshman at halftime of a national championship game. So that's the first part. The second part is, is Urban Meyer, who we all know is a, is a great college football coach and one of the 10 best in the history of college football. I think most would acknowledge that. But is, is it just bad damn luck 
that he's in the same era as Nick Saban, who's just <laughs> who's just the I think best. It's everybody's bad luck that they're in the same yeah, era. It is. Saban. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, but I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, other usually coaches have great coaches have eras almost all to themselves. Right. Um, you know, like they kind of dominate a, a gener a ten year stretch or something. And here we have two guys who I think are both in the top ten in the history of the game. And I think Saban's number one overall. I I think what Saban has done at Alabama is the most I think it's the most impressive thing in the history of collegiate athletics. And I know people will say Dan Gable at Iowa and they'll say Gino Oriema, and there's probably somebody who runs a trap out, for, you know, some sort of a crew from Yale or some something. But <laughs> really, in terms of the sports that matter and with all due respect to the others, which are definitely, you know, they're important to those people. The ones that drive the bus are football and men's basketball. Sure. And I don't I don't think I can I can't think of anything that's more impressive than what Saban has done in an 85 scholarship limit sport to have five national titles at Alabama in nine years to have six national championships in his career to have, I saw the stat today, every player who has played for Saban for at least three years since 2001 that he's recruited has won a national championship. <laughs> that's insane. Think about that. Like, that's a ridiculous that's thing nuts. to say, but that's, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. completely and he nuts. Didn't, there's no end in sight. I mean, the, the this Tua kid's going to start two more years. And the by the way, the freshman running back who was supposed to go to Ohio State was spectacular. Uh, mm -hmm. The freshman receiver catches the game winner. Like, there's no end in sight. Like, he has a football factory the likes of which we've never seen. And so right. I started thinking about it, and I thought, is he just going to be, like, just bad luck? I mean, it's kind of like we are, in this case, we're kind of the Michigan with Harbaugh. It's not quite as much because Harbaugh hasn't won anything yet. But, I mean, I always felt like Harbaugh and Les Miles and some of those guys are just bad luck. It's the wrong timing. And I'm wondering if Urban, from a historical perspective, won't get the due, won't get his just due because he's in the same era as maybe the greatest to ever do it. So, I, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit on the way back from work. And, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said you kind of have to contextualize this, you know, with the scholarship limits and things like that. I mean, a lot of people look at, like, Wooden, some of these other people. But I mean, they they had institutional advantages that. Oh gosh, Granted, yeah. do I do I think Alabama is cheating in recruiting? Yes. The, is everybody everyone else around them also cheating? Yes. Do they still have to abide by scholarship limits? Kind of. But I guess my point is is that the the field is much more level, no matter what you think Alabama is doing, uh, than it was when guys like Wood and even you know Bear Bryant were were doing their thing. So. Yeah, I, I agree with you. To your point, real quick, Bear Bryant had a hundred and twenty. He had unlimited scholarships. Yes, right, exactly. You have one hundred and fifty guys on scholarship if you want. They were offering dudes just to keep them away from other dudes. Like that's that's right. how. And so, with the limitations that are there for Alabama, just structurally, I, I I think it's really easy to make the case that he's the best ever, and that sucks because I don't really like Nick Saban in general, no. but. It's 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 really hard to deny what they've done at Alabama. Now, with that said, uh, one of the things that I will say uh, about this particular championship, and I was trying to wonder why is you know why does this have such a bad taste in my mouth? I didn't think it was just the the Georgia thing, you know, where they're playing another SEC team because you know if if their opponent is a legitimate opponent, then and they're beating two legitimate opponents in a playoff type scenario, then that's, that's a championship. Like it sucks that they're both from the SEC, but I don't know that it necessarily cheapens it. But what I think bothered me a little bit is like, 
I, I think one of the things that we expect when we see a tournament type thing, especially when it comes to things like March Madness, is that you have earned your way into that position, right? And, you know, when you look at a schedule that isn't a full conference schedule, when you look at a schedule that where they play lesser teams later in the year, I think that kind of leaves a bad taste in some people's mouths because they're like, well, my team, you know, suffered. My team didn't have to, you know, didn't right. have a, a functional bye week. And that's not necessarily saying that Alabama didn't deserve to be there, but I think there's a bit of sour grapes that comes with that because you're like, well, you know, if it wasn't for X, Y, and Z, my team could accomplish the same thing Nick Saban. And the truth of the matter is probably not. I mean, Nick Saban's a generational coaching talent, but I just I think that's why, because it does feel a little cheap that they get to that position with less effort, it feels like, than other teams. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, they they put in tons of effort, and they've done that when the SEC was super great. Um, but it feels like that, I think, especially this season. And I think that's why well, maybe the, some people were a little angry about it. There's <laughs> no doubt that they get every benefit of the doubt. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean... They're like they're like somebody going into a bank with perfect credit. Right. So, like, yeah. What do you want, Mr. Jones? You want a ten million dollar house loan? Absolutely, at the lowest yeah. interest rate. So this is two thousand eight. You're walking to a bank asking for yeah. a house loan and saying, "All right, let's go. Let's, let's roll." Right. I mean, that's what Alabama is. I mean, they they because they have so much currency in the bank, they get the, an incredible benefit of the doubt. And at right. least two of their national championships. And I don't think it behooves us to pick apart you know, all these national titles, but certainly, um, you know, if you think about how benefit, how much they benefited from, they played LSU after LSU beat them in the sec title game and they got a rematch. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's one of them. Uh, they got to play Notre Dame the year that Ohio state, um, was ineligible for a bowl and Ohio state might not have beat that Alabama team, but they would have handled their business much better than Notre Dame did in that game. Oh, sure. They, Absolutely. this year, this year, the big, the Pac-12, you think of everything that had to happen for them to get in this year. The Pac-12 champion had to have two losses. That had to happen, and it did. Uh, Ohio State had to give up 55 at Iowa. Wisconsin had to lose to Ohio State. Penn State had to have a second loss. Miami had to choke at Pitt. If Miami doesn't choke at Pitt, Miami with one loss probably gets in over Alabama, whether they deserve it or not, whether they're a better team or not. Basically, everything that had to happen for Alabama to get in. If you think about that, this came down to Alabama and Ohio State. Yeah. An Ohio State team that in November gave up 55 points at Iowa. Right. So they didn't have, it's not like they were chosen over these great other options. This was a year that there weren't a lot of great other options. And then once you let them into the tournament, this is what they do. This is what they do. And I, you just, I'm in awe of it. Um, I will say this. I think for all the talk of Nick Saban being a genius coach, what he is is an accumulator of talent. Alabama, in the, he's had, I think, 10 recruiting classes at Ohio State or at Alabama. Either eight or nine of them have been the consensus number one class in the country. Right. He, Which is, you want to know why Nick Saban wins? He has better players. You, you mentioned John Wooden. He is our generation's John Wooden. There's nothing they're doing offensively that makes you go, oh, that's a genius. There's nothing they're doing defensively that makes you go, that's genius. They play pretty straight-up defense. They play really lack of imagination offense. If he has like six offensive coordinators, it doesn't even matter. Uh, they were the best with Kiffin, but he has the best players. 
and he's had the best players for a decade. And I just, I have an incredible amount of respect to be that dogged in recruiting, to never have a slip up. Like he, he never misses a class. Every class produces players. And it's, that's unlike anything we've ever seen in college football over a 10 year period. I mean, if you, Ohio state's had a great run right now. And you know, Miami had a great run in the early two thousands and Florida state had a run in the nineties and Alabama, or I mean, Nebraska had a little run in, in the mid nineties, but nobody's had a 10 year stretch with five national titles and that type of recruiting year in and year out on an 85 scholarship limit. Nobody. Well, and he does, like, he does run kids though. off, but so do we, we run yeah. kids off. So well, everybody would, does it. Right. And I would say this, I don't know that it's just recruit. I mean, definitely that's a huge part of it. I mean, obviously you bring in all those, all those kids, but they don't seem to miss too often either. I mean, the, that the was the development. The other thing. Yeah, the yeah. talent development in Alabama is really, really good, and that's coaching. That's pure coaching. If you're able to get kids to play to their ability, you're a good coach. Period. And if you get them to play above their ability, which you know a lot of you know times, I think Nick Saban brings in guys that people are a little skeptical of, and they end up becoming all Americas. That's that's good coaching. And so, yeah, you're right. Schematically, they are they are bog standard, boring. (laughs) They're not a fun team to watch play football. And I think that's also another part of the resentment where this is not an exciting, fun team to really watch play football. Half of their games are dreadful. Like, they are really hard to watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as an Ohio State fan, and especially one who had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, endearment towards Jim Trestle, I feel like there's a little bit of just desserts on my part where I don't really feel like I should be complaining too much about right. a dominant team you benefit in the most boring fashion. So I don't know that I can really talk about that too much. So, right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they win and that's, and that's all that matters and they do it consistently. And, and I would have really wanted Georgia to be able to, to close it out, but they, they just kind of stumbled on their own feet and they weren't able to do it with that said, I will say, and, and this is maybe, I think getting lost in the fact that Nick Saban's, you know, got like six titles and everybody's freaking out about it. They really, Georgia, and I, I hate it when people do this, but man, Georgia got screwed in so many ways by those calls towards the There end. were a couple bad ones. There were yeah. horrendous ones. They blocked that kick cleanly. They were not offsides. They would have had possession right. of that ball, probably with the ability to put the game away. Um, they got called for some phantom things that that was bad. That was really, really bad by a big 10 crew that we have seen fumble some things all year long. Um, that I think people have the right and in, in Georgia to be really upset about because I think the game changed on that. And that's, that was really frustrating to watch that. I did not enjoy at all. I also think Kirby smart, uh, <laughs> did to himself what Lincoln Riley did to him the week before, which yeah. was turtle up. Yep. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't let Jake, Thrum, Jake Fromm throw the ball in the second half. They took Sony Michelle out. I mean, there are all these things they did that was like, no, no, you can, you, here's the deal with Bama. You can't let them think they have life. And that's what Ohio state did when they beat him. Like Ohio state relentlessly pursued that victory in the college football semifinal. Like they let it all hang out. They played fearless and that's why they beat him. And the teams that beat Bama do that. Last point on this. I watched, you watch this college football playoff. I think it's imperative for Urban Meyer, and the opportunity has never been better with Mike Weber. Looks like he's coming back and just a loaded backfield. And I mean, I don't know how they're going to get all these kids carries. Um, but but I, I'm wondering if this seems like the perfect time for Ohio State. They're always going to be a spread team sure. to go away a little bit from the re, the quarterback read. Yep. Because you look at the teams, you look, George is going to be in this thing. With this, with this from kid and the way they're recruiting, Bama's going to be in this thing with this Tua kid. 
and the way that they're rec- the way that what they are, it might be time for Ohio State to get away from that and to use the quarterback the way the position is supposed to be used, throwing the damn ball down the field and taking some shots. We have spent three football seasons dinking and ducking and offensively being neutered, and it's time to let it all hang out. I believe it, and I think the opportunity is there with who is coming back and who the quarterback, I think, will be in Haskins. I think it's time for Urban to kind of reevaluate the way he goes about his business offensively because I don't think you can run quarterback read against these type of teams and win a national title. Yeah, I, the way they play defense, especially on defensive line, I mean, they're, they're just keyed into a lot of this stuff, and you're right about that. I said, I tweeted this after Mike Weber kind of intimated that he's coming back. He hasn't really necessarily right. officially confirmed that, but he kind of hinted towards it. And I was like, look, Ohio State's going to be a dumb-as-rocks power-running team next year, and I am going to love it. I want yeah. to see Haskins back there winging it occasionally, but they have too many weapons not to just exploit that to the hilt. And I I think that's what they need. I think that's how you get this, this offense that's kind of struggled I at agree. times back on track against good defenses. Just pound the hell out of them. Just the, the, the offensive line recruits and the, and the players that they have have been very, very good and consistent over the past five, six years now. Yep. Utilize that. They should, just scare the, yeah, they should when be able to. When you've got talent like Dobbins and Weber combined, defenses yep. can't handle that when that's happening, when those guys are getting touches on a consistent basis and the, and the concepts are working. So, I, yeah, I'm with that. Like, just, just pound the hell out of it. I mean, if you don't win a national championship, fine, but just make that your identity. And, and I think that's something that Ohio State fans and players would, would love to try to, you know, enact i can't i can't think of a single reason why ohio state i mean they you know they'll have a little more tempo and they'll be more spread instead of out under center but why they can't look a lot like the way georgia looked yes with those two backs i mean yes. i think they can do that and i think haskins is the quarterback but it takes urban change in the way he goes about his business so i don't know if he'll do that or not but i think it's setting up for that um all right still to come much more football chatter with uh, former buckeye linebacker joshua perry he will join us but first we hit the hardwood where the idea of could versus should is real we'll explain that before we do that though we do encourage you to check out the dry goods store at 11warriors.com all sorts of good stuff there you know what it is um new stuff arriving all the time all sorts of barware shirts hats uh it was freezing last week i could have used one of those beanies that would have been nice um so all sorts of good stuff there get there and check it out um all right. In a normal circumstance, right? Look, I, I said this in the tease, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Could versus should. Yeah. Uh, in December, when Ohio State basketball beat Michigan, I thought, you know, that team might, that team could make the NCAA tournament. After beating Michigan State on Sunday in convincing fashion, they should make the NCAA tournament. And this Hell is yeah. what's strange about this because. <laughs> This is an uh, this is a team that Chris Holtman has, you know, two months into his season, he's benefited greatly from a couple of things that Thad Mata didn't have a year ago. And I'm not sticking up for Thad. I'm just pointing out a couple of things. Number one, expectations. There are there were none. There were no expectations this year on this team. Many people didn't think they'd make the tournament. The second thing that he benefited from is a healthy K debate Diop. So that's something Thad didn't have last year either. Right. And the great irony is if he does have a healthy K debate Diop last year, Thad Mata probably is still employed at Ohio mm-hmm. State. So um, the idea that Bates D up is being spectacular while Thad is no longer the coach is not lost on me. That said, the way that this team is going about their business is pure joy. Uh, not just the win over Michigan state, but going to a place like Iowa, which is a tough place to play and putting 92 on the board and handling your business. 
if you think about the inconsistencies, a couple of hallmarks, negative hallmarks to Thad Mata's last times at Ohio State are, number one, a lack of player, player development. Well, already in year one with Holtman, we've seen Bates Diop go from like a B player to an A-plus player. Like he's the front runner for Big Ten player of the year in one yes. season with Holtman, half season with Holtman. The other thing, the other hallmark armada was playing up and down to your competition. So you could beat Michigan State, but you'd also lose at Iowa. So to win at Iowa is impressive to me. So now for Holtman, the question will be, can he play with expectations? I feel like he can, and I think this team will. They'll get their first chance against Maryland. But I was talking to James today on the television show. It does such a great job for us on basketball. No one saw this coming, Johnny. Not 4-0 in Big Ten play. Not a beatdown on Michigan State. Not a front runner for Big Ten player of the year. Not in year one. Nobody saw this. No. I So, to me, a lot of it's attitude. Because and I'll, I'll, let me let me example what I'm talking about because it's not just you know the fact that they're they're hanging in there and they're playing hard. It's also the fact that they just don't give up on anything that's going on mm-hmm. in court. And my favorite play, uh, my favorite sequence, I guess, against Michigan State was uh, it was I think Jason like Tate got a, a steal or something like that. He had a wide open layup, completely biffed it, just just missed it, and there was a huge scrum. Everything was going wrong. It was. It looked really embarrassing, and all of a sudden, in comes Kata, and he grabs it, does this little bunny layup, and it just goes in. And it was the dumbest thing because it, the ball exchanged like hands like five times. I think last year, a play like that, Tate hangs his head. The rest of the team gets really PO'd at him, and they just kind of stop at midcourt. This yeah. time, you had everybody crashing to the ball. Everybody was trying to find it. Kata comes up with it, gets the bucket helps you know kind of maintain the the momentum that they had it that attitude of we are never giving up on anything is not something that i've seen in ohio state basketball in a really long time and chris holtman has done an incredible job at instilling this just you know anger not really i mean they don't really play angry but they just play tough they play serious and they play tough and they go hard on every single play no matter how hopeless it is and I just appreciate that because not only yeah. does it lead to great wins like what you saw against Michigan State and Iowa and going into Wisconsin and blowing them out, but right. also just from a fan perspective, you you care about it because it's an it's an entertaining game to watch that way. And so the shot wasn't completely filled against Michigan State, but it was loud when uh, Dogic hit that three right before halftime. I mean, the place exploded. Um, right. Which was hilarious, too, because that was his only points of the entire game. Um, But I love that kind of stuff. And I don't know, man. I I talked to – we got the opportunity to talk to Chris Holtman uh, before the season really started in earnest. And we were just talking like BW3s or something. And I I told him, I was like, you know, I think Ohio State fans really want to – they 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 want to be back in the team. They want to be back into the, the things uh, in the swing of things when it comes to basketball. But they need to have a guy that they can rally around. They need to have somebody that they can point to and go, "That's our dude. He's going to help us out. We're gonna we're gonna really get behind him." I think Kata Bates Diop is becoming that guy. Like he's not a real flashy guy, but he does a lot of things really really well. Um, leads the team. You know, he led the team in steals against Michigan State. Uh, he's everywhere. Just like picking up baskets and doing all kinds of different stuff. And I think he can become that guy, especially down the stretch that people are going to glom onto and really 
you know, look as an icon. And I think that's a big deal for Chris Holtman's first year because I think that'll help get the attendance numbers up. And I think that'll help generate some buzz around the program, especially if they can make the NCAA tournament, which I agree with you, they should do because they've got the talent and now they've got that marquee win that, you know, the committees are really going to be looking at to, to see if they deserve to be in there. Yeah, and the Big Ten isn't much, so let's be honest. They should finish right. third yeah. or fourth in the Big Ten at, at worst. So, yeah, I mean, they, they're in the driver's seat for that. Holtman's been brilliant. Bates Diop's been spectacular. As I mentioned, he's a frontrunner for Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, I haven't seen a kid in the Big Ten develop like this at this rate like since Draymond Green, and I, I'm not suggesting that Bates Diop is going to be Draymond Green. That's pr- too high of an expectation. But if you think about Draymond Green, who was just a steady player and then all of a sudden exploded and was player of the year as a senior. Bates Diop's kind of on that trajectory as a fourth-year player. The other thing that I want to acknowledge, and I think it's important, um, and he's a friend of mine, but Scooney Penn's fingerprints are all over this program. Yes. When you talk about give a damn level, that's who he is. If you they've done those videos where they where he gets them hyped at the end of the game, so you honor defend, fight to the end, and he bounce they bounce up and down. That is who he is. That's what he brings. The fact that that dude was sitting in Columbus for four and a half years <laughs> waiting for somebody at Ohio State to say, hey, why don't you come be a part of the basketball program is shameful. Shameful. Good yeah. on Chris Holtman. Good on Gene Smith, who really made sure that that got done for getting it done. But I'm telling you, whatever his title, I don't even know what his title is. It, it doesn't even <laughs> matter. He's an assistant coach. That's what he is. He's an right. assistant coach. And he is he is the ambassador of juice, is what he is. And he invigorates that pro. You see it. It's just the way they're going about their business. I remember talking to Schoon. We got to be really good friends. And I remember talking to him over the last few years when you would see certain kids, and there's no reason to drag more kids' names through the mud. We all know who they are. You'd see them half-ass it up and down the court. And it would enrage him. Enrage him. Because yeah. he would die for Ohio State, right? And the way these kids are playing, they're playing the way he played. He's just an assistant coach. Holtman gets a, the majority of the credit. But to not acknowledge his fingerprints on this, I think, would be a mistake. I, and it's, it's something I'm telling that dude's going to coach at a big time place. I don't know where, but that guy's going to coach at a big time place because he's got everything that you need. And there's an energy that he brings that this team is buying into. And it's just, it's just really obvious. It's, it's so much fun. There's so much fun to watch. Um, and that's the biggest thing too. You mentioned the fans and all that. Yeah. Everybody's dying to get back. They're dying to get back and, and, and get back into basketball the way that it it was under Sully and, and Kraft and some of those guys. And now it's all there on the table and it's been, it's going to be fun. Look, they got Maryland this week on Thursday. Then they go to Rutgers, which is basically a buy game. Thanks, Jim Delaney. And then they've got (laughs) Northwestern and Minnesota. So it's one thing to beat the number one team in the country. Can you sustain it? We'll find out over the next 10 days or so, but enjoy the ride, folks. You're in for what I think is going to be a fun winter and start to spring. Uh, We want to remind you uh, also to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes. Joshua Perry coming up next. All right, welcome back to the Dubcast. Joined now by one of our favorites, uh, Joshua Perry, captain on the national championship team, uh, a Central Ohio kid who absolutely always understood what it meant to wear the scarlet and gray and the son of the mom and dad that I hugged after every game for two years. So it's good to have you on, Mr. Perry. Um, We appreciate the time. As you watched, did you watch the game on Monday night? And how much do you think back to beating Bama's butt as they win another national championship? Yeah, I watched the game. Um, 
it was kind of funny because I was telling people, I think the edge that they kind of had was um, Coach Saban. I don't, I don't know how many people um, can can out-prepare a guy who's been there that many times, but um, I was revisiting that moment back in my head um, when we beat them because it was, you know, something everybody said we weren't going to be able to do. Um, that's a storied program, obviously, a lot of tradition there. Um, I was pulling for Georgia um, just because I didn't want to see Bama win another one, but you know, those boys got a dynasty going. What what was it, what do you think allowed you guys obviously a, an incredible amount of talent certainly helps, but but what do you think gave you guys um and to a certain extent Clemson last year with Deshaun Watson, what what when you play Alabama and they have the reputation they have, and at the time, you know, you guys hadn't been to the mountaintop yet. So what gave you the confidence that you could beat them? Uh you mentioned it is a dynasty, there's no doubt it's a football factory. Why did you guys believe that you could beat them that night in the Sugar Bowl? Um, I guess it's just the character of guys we had on the field. Um, you know, guys who were just going to always fight and put their head down, not really look at the scoreboard. Because, if, I mean, you look at it, you're down 21-6. to six. Um, You're really in enemy territory because we're playing the game in the South. Um, things don't look very good. But you got guys who, uh, you know, they're not going to just sit there and passively let the game happen. They're going to take matters into their own hands. Um, like you said, the talent aspect is huge. Um, but I think the the one thing you got to have is just an edge. You got to have a chip on your shoulder and kind of a, a screw-up mentality a little bit where you're going to put things on the line. And, um, you know, it's it's do or die at that point. So, um, you know, what are you holding back for? What are you waiting on? So that's kind of the mentality you got to take to one of those games too. And I think we had the guys in the locker room that were able to do that. How do you feel about how the playoffs kind of played out in general, at least in terms of how teams were selected and whatnot? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, Alabama, they kind of proved their medal by by winning the, the championship. But, I mean, were you comfortable with how all these teams were selected and how it kind of went down? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't, I can't sit here and grab and complain. Um, I think the field was good enough that, um, you know, the number four spot could have been a few different teams, but obviously it was the right selection. Um, to me, I know a lot of Ohio State fans are really upset that we weren't in there, but um, a loss to Iowa is going to do that to you. So, um, you know, we learned a lot, I think, about how the, the committee makes selections. Um, you know, wins are big, obviously, but some of those bad losses might hurt you. Um, conference championship is good to have, but we've seen it a couple years in a row now where you definitely don't have to be a conference champ to get in. Um, so I'm you know, the the process is what it is. I can't say I'm mad at it. Um, you know, I think that obviously they had it right since Alabama won the whole thing. Josh, you know, let's talking to you. I mean, you've been in the league, you know, since you since you left currently with the Colts. It's abundantly clear that you still pay a great deal of attention to the college game. Is it what is what is a week like for you? How many games do you watch? Do you or how much do you watch the process over the course of a year? Um, I try to tune into as many games as possible. Saturdays in the league are pretty cool because you get in, you have a walkthrough in the morning, some meetings, and then you're usually out of the building. Um, you know, you have a chance to get your body right and get your mind right in preparation for a game. But you got a chance to watch a lot of games in the afternoon, especially, um, you know, if you're not traveling. Um, so a lot of those home weekends, uh, I like to flip on the TV and catch some games, and I'll be tuning in back and forth. To me, the college game is really fun. Um, because it's so vast and there's a lot of diversity, you see so many different schemes on offense, so many different schemes on defense. 
Um, there's obviously a ton of players, and it's fun to watch who the, the risers are in the up-and-comers. So um, it's it's always good to be able to tune back in. Obviously, if I got a chance, I'm definitely watching my Buckeyes play. <laughs> so – I, okay, so I was I was looking at your Twitter feed a little bit. And this is this is one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about uh, in this interview. But uh, you retweeted uh, a good friend of ours, Tim Shoemaker, where he was talking about how you know they they got all the cool hats and the t-shirts and stuff, and that's that's just compensation for the kids in the game. And I'm like, you know, I'm watching the halftime show. You got Kendrick Lamar, and you got all these other guys yeah. out. It, it's a huge production. What what is the conversation like among the players when all of this is going on? Does it ever come back to like, is this really like what we're being like? Are we being compensated fairly for that? Is that a conversation that comes up as the the you know the whole environment is just going crazy around them? Yeah, I think uh, our situation was unique when we won too, because um, that conversation was definitely floating around, and we had what was it twelve guys in my class that got drafted, so we had some guys who obviously understood um, their value as players. Um, like you said, you got the halftime show with Kendrick Lamar. Obviously he's not cheap. Right. Um, and you've got <laughs> the, all the sponsorships and um, you see the coaches bonuses come out and they're getting paid. And to me, the amateurism I think is only reserved for the athletes because you've got, professional coaches you've got professional ad's you've got professional sponsors and amateur athletes and you know i personally i'm one of those guys where it's like if a guy could go out and he's balling out um and he's a popular name if he could make two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a year i'd say let him have it obviously that's probably not the best thing to do but there's no reason why guys shouldn't get you know 10 20 30 40 thousand dollar check for a year of playing ball with all the money that's being produced from especially a playoff system the way that is uh, what we saw this past year and the years before. Josh, you're a thoughtful guy. I always have been. Um, I, I, I don't know if you have any interest in politics, but I really think you could be governor if you wanted to be at some point. Um, this yeah. was something that you did going back to high school. You've always you've, you've always been a big picture guy and could always see things that others could not. Uh, the, the coaches, I saw the coaches bonuses paid out from the postseason was like eleven and a half million dollars. And that's a drop in the bucket. Um, really, when you think about how much ESPN pays for the playoff, uh, Kirby right. Smart got a one point two five million dollar bonus for making the national championship game. Um, and of course, the, the players aren't compensated. Um, I have some ideas on how they should go about it. Um, I'm curious. I, I think most of us can look at this and say the money has gotten out of control. The money has it's gotten outrageous. too big. Strength coaches making a million dollars a year at Alabama. I mean, 10 yeah. assistant coaches now at Ohio State all making over a half million or whatever it is. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's a defensive coordinator. I think it, I want to say at Clemson that's making two and a half million. Or maybe it's at yeah. LSU. I, it was LSU making two I and a half million for a defensive LSU. coordinator. It's LSU. So, all right. So the money, there's all the money in the world, right? There's all the money in the world. Saban makes $11 million this year. But for those who fight back and say, well, what about Title IX? What about the, the women's volleyball player? Is, is there, are they less important than the football player? I know my answer to that, and it's basically life's not fair. I'm curious what yours is. Yeah, and so I don't want to sound as, blunt is life's not fair but um <laughs> you know i think there is a, a certain value we have to realize because you know you can watch a wnba game they're on tv 
but the women's professional basketball players do not get paid as much as men's professional basketball players. And it's all because of how consumers perceive the value of their sport. And that's not to say that they don't put out a great product because I personally like watching women's basketball. I think it's a more fundamental game than watching men who, you know, everybody's just trying to jump out the building. Um, but when you look at it, you've got football, that's a revenue sport. You've got basketball. Um, I think there's a couple other ones that bring in revenue. Um, and I think there we could devise a system to even where you take some of that revenue from all the revenue sports and you're able to spread it across um, all athletics at Ohio State, for example. And I'm not exactly sure how to do that, but there are a ton of people that are smarter than me that could probably figure out how to do that. Um, you know, it's just it's, – it's an interesting – dynamic to me but if we're going to be completely honest like people show up they don't show up to watch coach Meyer coach you know they don't show up to watch Mickey Marotti help take us through warm-ups not to be the integral parts of the game but they're really out there to see you know JT throwing the ball and Paris Campbell catching the ball right. and that's yeah. just the reality of it so, you know, okay. so one of the things real quick, that I, 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 real quick I just want to one, one quick point on that and I think when I say life's not fair, just to, just to clarify that statement, 108,000 people pay an average of $70 a ticket or whatever it was. This year it might have been 80 or $90 a ticket at Ohio State. They sell beer at the games. Right. Okay. Like, let's uh, – the, the Title IX and everybody's and – and by the way, Ohio State chooses to have 36 sports. They don't yeah. have to have it. They choose to have it. Um, other, uh, you know, Texas doesn't have 36 sports. Alabama doesn't have 36, they have 15. So you don't have to do that. They're choosing to do that. So there is, there is so much money that is generated off of the football program at a place like Ohio state. I, I just want to click. I don't know if people, when I, when I say life's not fair, I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to certain people. I just right. mean, this is the reality of it. Okay. Like the CEO, you know, Warren Buffett makes more, is worth more at Berkshire Hathaway than the guy running Shake Shack. That's, that's the point. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's it's a beautiful thing that we have all those sports, and I do appreciate, um, you know, the experience I had with such a big athletic department. Um, but you're right, that is a reality. And then I just want to hit on something too. Um, I don't know if people understand, but um, the way that licensing works at Ohio State too is that, um, you know, apparel sales for sports teams don't just go to the athletic department only 15% of every uh, sale makes it back to the athletic department. A lot of it goes to campus and fund scholarships and libraries. Um, some of it goes to student life, and some of it even goes to the alumni association, which I don't think a lot of people understand. So um, our, our athletes and a lot of people I see walking around wearing Buckeye jerseys and Ohio State uh, football shirts, our athletes are able to fund a lot more than just what we do within the athletic department. And I think that's right. an important thing to touch on too. There's a lot so of I, I want to get your opinion on this because this is where I think kind of the future of this is going to go. And I think more teams are going to make an effort at this, but uh, you know, Northwestern uh, a few years ago made a, an attempt at like unionizing a little bit. And th there's other been talk about that at other schools. How do you think players react to those kind of ideas? And do you think that's maybe a possibility for other places a little bit down the line? I think the the biggest obstacle to um, players aligning like that is the fact that um, it's it's almost frowned upon. Like 
coaches wouldn't – they would almost try to do everything in their power to make sure that something like that doesn't happen. There, there would be no way um, that they would help facilitate that process. Um, and I think that's a shame because uh, what people in society are starting to understand now is what athletes in general are starting to reflect too is that there's a lot of power within each room or within a belief system, and it's just finding a way to collectively organize. Um, but these guys got a lot of stuff to think about. If they want to organize, I think there is an opportunity. They just got to be creative about it because um, I think it comes down to more than just money too. Big thing that uh, guys are dealing with is, you know, I'm, I've been out of college for a couple of years now, and guys are starting to have some dings come back up that they sustain in school. And you better hope that you're under insurance or else you're kind of screwed on that. And the hard part is um, we all know insurance is a lot harder to secure when you have a pre-existing condition. Um, and so it's things like that where you would hope that uh, you could find a way to say, you know, like workers comp, hey, if you hurt your knee while you were playing, we will cover your knee for X amount of years after you're done playing in just your knee. It's not, you know, something pops up and then you run to your athletic trainer from college and say, hey, I need X, Y, and Z. It's like, you know, if that's if your right knee was hurt in college and your right knee is busted again um, and it's something related to your injury, you're able to get covered. So um, these guys have power. I think uh, there's a lot of youth, so um, people are just trying to learn how to navigate it, and I think there's also a fear aspect of really diving into something like that. But players could definitely do it. You know, the problem with it is, is that at the moment when you have all the power, the system is set up to make you believe that you don't. You know what I mean? When you're in it, you listen to a coach and a strength coach and people who bark at you and order you around and tell you where to go. And a lot of, I'm not saying they don't treat you well, they do, but it's basically a military setup, right? You have to be at like, who are you to question this authority? I mean, that's the setup. So you don't you don't really realize the power you have until you're out of the situation. So in order to unionize, I mean, it's going to take like a Jackie Robinson, Kurt Flood type situation where some player risks his athletic career to do it. And it's got to be a huge player. Like if you guys walked out in the Oregon game, if you said we're not taking the field unless we get paid, I mean, can you imagine doing that? But that's what it's going to take. But it, it would come down to that, though, because I think and that's a great example you use because once you start messing with, um, you know, ESPN's revenue and Big Ten's revenue yep, and right. Absolutely. revenue, that's when you have change. And this is not to say that, um, you know, we don't get treated well because we're afforded a lot of opportunities. But at the same time, if you're talking about um, fairness aspect and you're talking about real change, I think one of the quickest ways – to get the change you want is, you know, you messing with somebody's pocketbook. Right. Yeah. And that yeah, takes I, guts in the moment, man. I mean, that would take, that would take a courageous 20 year old to say, yeah, no, I'm yeah. good. We're good. We're going to sit this out. I mean, that would take, whew, to, because it has to be a, it has to be a team and a player of consequence. You know, it's got to it, be on a big a stage. Effort and it's got to be on a big stage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it can't be, you know, sitting out the humanitarian bowl. That's not going to do it. I mean, it's got to be somebody sitting out a college football playoff semifinal or national championship game or sitting out like Kentucky kids. 
the problem is in basketball, it's apples to oranges because they're only there for a year, and that's just such a fraud. Exactly. It's it, it's not the same. Football, you're required to be there three years. So it has right. to be football, and it has to be on the big stage. And, boy, will that take a lot of onions in that moment for, for whoever it is that will do it. But I think it is coming. I hope so. Um, I really do. And I think there are a lot of guys within locker rooms who are becoming more outspoken. I think social media has made it easier to share a message and acquire information. So um, it's an interesting time for, um, you know, that sort of activism. But like you said, it's got to be an all-in thing and it's got to be on the right stage. Yeah, the whole, I mean, everything about that is fascinating to me just because not just from the collective aspect of it, because I think that would that's that would be incredible in of itself. But I just, you know, I, I talk to people about this and I got this buddy that I talk to occasionally and I bring this up from time to time where I'm like, you know, the money involved is absurd. The fact that, you know, players don't really get to to partake in that is insane. Uh, but he's like super old school. He's like, no, man, it should be a fault for the love of the game, love of the, you know, <laughs> of the school. And I, I look at him like, do you not realize how much money is being changed hands here? Like if this was any other industry, any other business or anything else, the idea that you would completely shut out the main producers of this would be absurd. You would have a union, you would have people demanding that. And yet, because we've got this, right. We've, we've got this like weird kind of like, you know, it's not weird. It's an allegiance to your school and it's an enjoyment of the sport, but that I think actually prevents some of this stuff from happening because people expect that to be enough. And it to me, what's really interesting is is how that butts heads against the real kind of social progress that I think needs to be made on the player side. And then that's yeah. to me, that's a really interesting dynamic that I think people are going to have to learn to overcome a little bit as fans. It's just funny to me, though, uh, when you talk to some people, like you were saying, they really act like when players say, hey, we think we should get a bigger piece of the pie. They're asking for fans money directly out of their pocket <laughs> yeah. the way that they oppose such a thing and it's it's oh my god i mean it's just kind of amazing yeah well josh there the, the, what's what you never hear is anybody complaining about a coach making 11 million <laughs> and why is that right so like <laughs> you think about it i mean that's a whole nother we got another hour we want to do that conversation <laughs> but that's i mean honestly like i think this is this is but my final thing on this honestly like either the money is going to have to be shared with the athletes because the money keeps getting bigger and bigger and more out of control, or they're going to have to give the money back. And okay, urban, you don't want to pay players. And I, I don't mean to search, you know, point out urban, but he's our guy. Right. Okay. You can't make 7 million. You're going to make 250,000. Right. Okay. And so I if that's one of the two of the, things has to happen. I agree. Um, a lot of the people who keep that, kind of old school for love of the game amateurism mentality are also thinking back to you know 70s and 80s when coaches right. really weren't getting paid yes the way that what he made 100 grand today. what yeah. he he's made a hundred thousand. i mean I right mean, so you guys got to understand times are changing you know if coach if coach has an 11 million dollar salary and he's riding around in foreign cars and we've got guys riding to practice in hoopties um, (laughs) wearing wearing a sling because they're busted up from playing so hard in the game i think there's there's a conversation that we should really have yeah i agree my friend hey um your your charity um you launched relatively soon right yeah 
So uh, the Joshua Perry Family Foundation, um, we're coming live this off season. We're going to have um, our first event, and I don't quite have it on the calendar yet, but I'm thinking March 22nd is going to be the date. Um, but my goal is to work with young people. Um, we want empowerment. We want self-efficacy. So the illustration I like to use is you have a painter and a paintbrush. And so um, the empowerment is giving the painter the brush. They have the tool. And the efficacy part is you give them the confidence that they can actually paint. So we have a lot of young people who um, they have great tools, but they don't have confidence. We got a lot of young people who have just great personalities and a ton of confidence, and they might not have the proper tools. And then there are a lot of young people that kind of fall in between. So uh, I want to make a genuine impact on uh, those people and then want to do a lot of uh, activation in the community uh, camps. We want to do a back-to-school supply drive. We want to give out socks and coats in the winter and awesome. uh, do a, uh, a Christmas event too. So, um, you know, really trying to trying to do the right thing around Columbus and hopefully make a lasting impact on some young lives. That's fantastic. Josh, you, you were one of the most impressive, thoughtful people that I ever covered, and uh, it's it's good to see uh, you understanding your platform and and using it to the best of your ability, my friend. It was a pleasure talking to you today, bud. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. That's former Buckeye, current Colts linebacker Joshua Perry. We'll be right back. All right, it's time in the program as we wrap things up and time for a little Ask Us Anything, and it really is that simple, is it not, Mr. Ginter? Yeah, you can ask us anything. Send us an email at 11dubcast. Uh, or excuse me, at 11dubcast on Twitter, or send us an email, dubcast at 11warriors.com. Uh, we'll, we'll, we don't have a lot of time, so I'll just do a couple today. But <laughs> this, is, this is fun. This is from Brad. Brad wants to know, do either of us have any nicknames that our friends and or family call us? Uh, he says that his mom insists on calling him Brad E, uh, and she's <laughs> the only one allowed to do so. So that's, that's from Brad. Um, I was... The only one I have, I mean, obviously, I, most people just call me by my last name yeah. a lot. I get that a lot. But um, there's a few buddies of mine. If you were, I don't know if you're a wrestling guy, but there was a guy who like ran NWO when I was in college called <laughs> okay. Eric Bischoff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember Eric Bischoff. So I used to get Bischoff, which then turned into like Schaff. So nice. that there's a, a circle of friends of mine from college that sometimes still call me Bischoff or Schaff. I get that like every once in a while. I feel like a New World Order shirt, NWO shirt, was kind of like standard uniform in my middle school. Yeah. Um, like every redneck kid <laughs> had at least three new NWO shirts. Right. Um, I was always kind of jealous. I was like, what is the NWO? They're like a gang? Like, I don't... All right. right. Uh, How about you? Uh, so, I... all right. So I'm, I'm Johnny Ginter Jr. Uh, so my family doesn't call me Jr. They call me Little Johnny because my dad's Big Johnny. Uh, <laughs> Which is annoying because I'm like bigger six than my four. dad. Yeah, right. I'm taller than my dad. He's not. He's not <laughs> super tall. He's like less than six feet. But I'm little Johnny. Uh, my mom calls me Jr. Um, but yeah, it's usually like when I was in high school, it was just Ginter. Everybody just called me Ginter. Right. Um, yeah, my last name's cooler than my first name, I guess. But actually, there was like some. We had some weird kids and uh, in our like on our soccer team, and I wore. I, I was just grabbing socks. I wore like blue soccer socks one day to practice. And so kids just started calling me Johnny blue socks for like a year. 
That's like, like I wore them like... once. I wore these socks once, and they're like, "Yeah, that's, that's your name now." I'm like, "Okay, fine, thanks." So that's like a it, nickname for somebody in a in a Guy Ritchie movie from 2000, like Snatch and Johnny all that. Blue Johnny Blue Socks. That'd be Billy a perfect stock. Yeah, it's perfect lock stock and two smoking there, barrel. There you go. Um, okay, so the next one we got here, real quick. This is from Alvin. Um, all right, so now that Urban has given Ohio State just as many years as he has Florida, how many more years do you think he's got left in the tank? I always thought the over under was seven. You know, yeah. when he took the job, I, was, I think he's I thought it was five. Frankly, like, <laughs> yeah, um, I think he's healthier now than he was at Florida. I think he's got an easier job than he was at right. when he was at Florida. Um, I do think though that he's, you know, at a bit of a crossroads with the graduation of Barrett and Price, like kind of the end of that era, mm-hmm. and now he's kind of this is a brand new start, and it'll either rejuvenate him or I could see it. You know, if it doesn't go well and they lose four games next year. Right. It should be pretty shocking, but if they did, I, you know, maybe the sledding gets to be a little tough. I think, I do think it'll be something for a later podcast. But I do think there is a, a an incredible change that is happening in the way that uh, college football coaching staffs are being put together, and I think Ohio State's a little behind the curve on it at the moment. Um, so I, you know, I think they're in an interesting spot right now, um, I, and so I don't know, a couple more I years. I mean. I don't think he would coach more than 10 years at Ohio state. I, I think that's probably where he would top out, but I, I mean, shoot, I didn't, like I said, I thought he would stop at five. I thought that would be pretty much it. Like win a couple championships and get out. Um, he, I mean, he seems happy. He seems like he's, he's balanced, you know, work and life fairly well. And, but one of the things I think are really interesting and, and you know, like you said, this is something we can explore a little bit more in depth later, but I, I think the hires that he has made, especially you got you got Grinch coming in from Washington State uh you've got Day who looks like a really great you know possible future guy uh at least coordinator or even head coach somewhere else I I think a lot of this is maybe setting up for the future a little bit and I kind of wonder you know once everybody's kind of out of Columbus all his kids are gone and and things like that how that's going to change his attitude towards the job in general um so we'll see. I mean, I, like I said, I think next year really will be a kind of a pivotal, pivotal year for that. And I think his body language and kind of his attitude towards the team will, will say a lot about maybe how much longer he feels he wants to do this in, in Columbus. I mean, he's still, still got a lot in the tank. He's not, not an old guy. He's not, you know, knocking on the door of retirement or anything like that. But um, yeah, he's not a guy who I think is going to be there for another 10 or 15 years, if that's what Alvin is asking. No, no, no <laughs> so, I don't either. All right, so that says ask us anything. Keep sending those in. Uh, any that we didn't get to this week, we'll we'll hit next time. Absolutely. We want to thank our good, good buddy Joshua Perry for coming on. Enlightening conversation with him, as always. Uh, we will be back next week. Basketball team with a couple of big wins. A football team with maybe some more defections. Who knows? Uh, we'll be here each and every week, as we always are. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. Yep, talk to you next week.